Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today we're addressing a topic that's universally challenging in close human relationships. How do you care for someone who doesn't care for themselves? What if your belief in them is greater than their belief in themselves? To address these questions, we're speaking with Katie Thornber of Los Angeles, who bravely shares a very personal journey she went through with her late father and how she used her Buddhist practice to support him through the toughest time of his life. I'll let Katie share the story in her own words, but it covers every aspect of love and pain, what it's like to see someone you deeply care for be unwilling to take care of their own health, and at the same time, how a deep internal shift in our own life can transform a circumstance that feels completely impossible to change. Here's Katie. Uh, My name is Katie and I'm 31. I'm currently living in Los Angeles and I'm an instructor at community college and I work in a a lab as well. Amazing. And uh, how long have you been practicing SJNHRM Buddhism? So I grew up practicing. Um, My mom has been practicing for, you know, 40 plus years. And so even being as a little kid, I remember just hearing her chanting, you know, Namirenge Kyo. So I don't Mm -hmm. really remember not being around Buddhism or not, you know, in my life. Yeah. And then around like what age did you really sort of dive into the practice on your own and why? Yeah. So, you know, even like I, I shared that I was even as a, as a kid, I was I was chanting and I would chant for, you know, if I had a hard time with friendships, I would chant about that. Uh, if I had a hard time with grades, I would chant about that, too. And I knew that it made me feel good. Um, so I kept doing it. But at the same time, everything was just kind of about me. And my world was kind of smaller, you know, at that time. Right. It was just about, you know, what I was facing as a, you know, preteen or teenager. And so I think there is this huge shift when I started chanting, you know, of course for myself, but also for other people. And it was like, that was kind of when my life opened up. And that was when I was 18 and it was really, you know, the last recession you know, in 2008, um, you know, and I just remember, you know, my dad lost his job and he made most of our family's income and couldn't, he couldn't find work right at that point. Hmm. So, um, I just saw my parents struggle so much, you know, like we were living in the, our childhood house is where we lived forever. And my parents couldn't pay the mortgage or anything like that. And so like they started shutting our water bill off and, you know, and, and just like my parents were struggling so much. And I just had this like one, one thing that I could think of was, or I guess one wish, one desire was, I just want my parents not to worry, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was just like my, the first time it was the first time I, I think I started to, think about other people, you know, that my, that my world opened up, that my heart or my life opened up. Right. Mm, Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that's really this huge shift happened when I, when I started really practicing um, or deciding to practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's, it's wild that you share that. I didn't realize that that was kind of your early experience because what we're going to talk about today is really practicing for other people um, and ourselves and at 18 to already begin to kind of see the power of that um, is, is really amazing. So I have, a, I have a lot of questions, but I want to sort of build a little bit of context first. So um, I know that we are going to talk today a bit about your relationship with your dad specifically, and you kind of have given us a preview of, you know, what was going on at the time. But if you don't mind my asking just to sort of paint a picture a little bit of um, your family, just so we understand. So your mom practiced Buddhism. That was always in your life kind of growing up. And did your dad also practice? Did you have siblings? Like kind of tell me a little bit more. Sure. 
Yeah, I have two two brothers, and we're all really close. Um, you know, one of my my brothers is a little bit more open to Buddhism, and um, my older brother isn't. You know, wasn't really interested. Um, there, you know, and then my dad was never really interested in practicing. It was really just my mom and myself. You know, mm-hmm. who would be like really consistently practicing Buddhism. I see. Oh, wow. Yeah, I understand. So I'm just trying to envision at the age of 18, you know, 2008 was very serious, actually. I think we're almost the same age, too, because I remember, I mean, many of my friends' parents went through that. My family went through that, too. Um, And it can feel like, you know, you have a choice at that age. Either you're like, I'm out, I'm going to go to school, goodbye family, good luck, or you can really like get involved in some kind of way. And it seems like you decided to tackle it in some kind of way. So can you, yeah. How did you sort of approach what was going on and how were you feeling at the time? Yeah, actually I totally did option A first or I tried (laughs) to, Um, you know, I, I moved out, you know, when I went to college and I was kind of like, you know, oh man, this is so hard at home and I'll see you at Christmas, (laughs) you know, like, Um, I really just didn't want to deal with it. But then um, I noticed that I was, you know, even no matter where I went, I was kind of attracting these like relationships that were just so reminiscent of like my own parents, like their struggle, Hmm. like their relationship struggle, you know, and I was like, wow, this isn't, it doesn't matter where I go. I have something that I need to shift or, you know, like I, I was like, I'm t- like, I need to change something fundamentally in my life. And um, I ended up having to move back home uh, after college. And, you know, at this point, my parents had lost their house. They moved into an apartment. My dad was, he wasn't able to find work, but he also couldn't work because of his health. He was a diabetic and was not pursuing treatment, you know, at that point. And he just felt like doctors didn't, you know, listen to him. And he didn't think that any treatment had worked in the past. So he always did his own thing. So he was basically went from, you know, working full time, supporting the family to basically being home homebound, you know, in a sense, bedridden, like couldn't couldn't go good couldn't work even if he wanted to and was living in an apartment and I moved home and this is what I moved home to you know Mm. and you could just see like how that took such a toll on him of losing his job and being ill and I remember you know him telling me he was like just he was just said you know out of nowhere like three million dollars and I was like what he's like three million dollars you know that's how much your mom and I made since we've been married and now we have nothing wow you know and and it wasn't like the and now we have just each other it was now we have nothing and that was where he was at you know and and I remember you know he would just kind of sleep all day you know he would maybe be up for a couple hours in the evening but then he would sleep you know go back to sleep and um and at some point you know my mom would just tell me like you know he was she would say you know he 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 just told me he wished he would just go to he would he wishes that he could go to sleep and not wake up Mm. you know and so you know at that point what do you do? Right. You know, if I, if I had, if I had asked him, you know, let's go to the doctor or go to a therapist, he would just said no. Hmm. Right. Like, what do you do? Like, right. And then, and, um, was, I was just thinking like, there's no right words I can tell him to like, want to care or want to get better. There was nothing like intellectually I could come up with so the only thing I knew was Buddhism that was you know that was the only thing I could think of you know to help my dad from where Mm -hmm. he was right yeah oh my goodness I mean 
just just to pause for a second I feel like um yeah I feel like anybody listening will be able to relate you know whether it's your parent or it's your partner or your sibling or just somebody else in in your life um and so I know we're going to share a little bit about what you then did next but like how did you feel at the time like what was kind of going through your head I imagine many emotions yeah. I mean, of course it was, it's my dad and it's like devastating to hear those things, you know? Um, and, you know, just to give context to my dad is like, you know, I mean, he, he was a really smart guy. He was, he was a funny guy. He made so many, you know, he's always making jokes and, you know, love being a dad, but underneath he always had this kind of just like, sadness or you know like you know he would just I like hold everything in and then all of a sudden get angry so um it was kind of like he was he there was always something under the surface anyways growing up that we just didn't want to address right Mm. so it wasn't like this came out of nowhere but it was just that was all that was left you know yeah and so I just I guess like maybe desperation that's where I was at. It was like something has to work. Mm, I see. Yeah. So yeah. so you decided to turn to your practice. Um, what did you do? Like how how what was going through your mind when you were chanting? What I don't know, what steps did you take? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, at first I just thought like, okay, the only you know, because I always felt like chanting just made me feel better and made me feel positive and, and hopeful. And I was thinking at first, the only way he's ever going to be happy is that if he himself starts practicing. So that was kind of my first trial was, okay, how can I get him to practice? You know, how can I get him to try chanting Namir and Geikyo so that he can be happy? And um, so I was chanting that way. And I was like, he's going to start practicing and, you know, try chanting. He's going to start going to Buddhist activities. And that didn't really work, (laughs) you know, nothing really happened or, you know, but, um, I remember at that point, I, I didn't know really what to do. Um, and I asked a friend in faith, like another fellow practitioner, um, to kind of have a new perspective and be encouraged. Mm -hmm. And what she shared with me was that your dad may never practice Buddhism in this lifetime but you do. Hmm. And it it felt so simple, you know, and she said, she encouraged me. She's like, you can chant for your dad, you know? And I felt like I knew that on a surface level, but I think underneath, I didn't really trust that that would do anything or work, you know? Hmm. And just thought like, well, chanting makes me feel good, but how does my chanting for someone else going to fix someone or change them or make them happy Hmm. and you know so at that point but I had no I had no other options I just felt like you know what let's try it right um so I tried you know just chanting you know for him to be happy like from the depths of my heart Hmm. and and then I also when I was engaging in, in Buddhist activities going, we would go to meetings and gatherings and have discussions and encourage each other and study together. And I remember going with this sense of purpose, like a new sense of purpose in my heart that I was going on behalf of my dad, Hmm. you know, who doesn't practice. Like I'm going with him. I'm taking him with me. And yeah. And I, so that was, I think, something that shifted was initially me thinking, you know, my dad's the problem and he needs to figure himself out to somehow my life will reach his and my life has power. And, you know, and that I'm going to fight for him, hmm. you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh, what it like, 
I just, I'm blown away. I don't have words. I mean, to, to be able to adopt that kind of attitude towards somebody is amazing. I, yeah, that, um, and I, and I think, uh, many people, especially those who are listening that might be new to Buddhism have that question. Like how can me chanting for someone do anything? I get the part where I like bring out my best self, (laughs) but like other people, you know, and I understand that things kind of shifted in a really profound way. So, um, I guess first, like once you started chanting and approaching your Buddhist activities in this way, how did you start to feel different? And then how did sort of the environment begin to shift? I mean, I, I, I think I, I went from desperation to hope. Hmm. And it's one of those things where you know, I don't think anyone starts out with this sense of like confidence or conviction that anything that they're doing is just going to work. Right. But I remember I started to have hope. And I think part of that is that we, we don't practice by ourselves; We practice in a community Mm -hmm. and we have people to encourage us and people to guide us when we, we start to give try to give up you know but people who believed in me when I didn't you know so even though I I I was I was building that sense of confidence I didn't start out with it Mm. but I still saw things changing in my environment and kind of the first thing that happened is that I got in this huge argument with my dad which (laughs) of course, doesn't always sound good, you know, but it was so interesting because I don't even know what we were arguing about. But I remember he ended up saying, you know, that he always had felt misunderstood. He always felt alone and that nobody cared about him. And he said, and that's why I am the way I am. Hmm. And in that exact moment, I was like, you know, in it was, you know, of course, these things are so hard to hear. But somehow I felt this profound joy that he opened up his life like he had never before. You know, so in that exact same moment, you know, of course, it was, you know, yeah, painful, but also just felt this, like, just something opened. And I saw my dad, And I looked at him and I just was thinking, you know, it's the first time I'm really seeing him, you know, like not just this preconceived notion of who my dad's supposed to be, but like really just seeing this person and he's suffering, you know, and all I could say in response to, you know, to him, when he said that, I said, you know, even if you want to give up, I'm not giving up on you. And that was, that was literally the only thing I could say, you know, is, well, this, you know, all I'm not giving up on you. Right. And I really felt that. And I don't think I would have been able to say those, those words without having having been gone, going to these, these activities that are, you know, Mm -hmm. encouraging me, you know, and reinforcing, reinforcing that I can win. Mm. Wow. That's so beautiful. That's, thank you for sharing that. Um, so, so how did you sort of take that back home then? So like your, your dad opens up to you, but really the situation isn't any different. Um, yeah. what, What happened next? Uh, what's interesting is it was kind of like as the as like you know our situations became more serious I had to respond well I guess I you don't have to you can do it you can run away right but I just felt like I just had so much more courage you know and 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 hope and I felt like we have to win we have no choice. And, um, 
you know, at that point, my dad was really, you know, um, with his diabetes, he would get these infections and he would try to treat it himself. And, you know, that wouldn't work and he would get really sick. And I remember at one point he thought he had the flu, um, but he was really septic, which means that your whole body, you know, you have this infection. And he, you know, he didn't want to go get treatment. He didn't want to go to a doctor. And my parents actually didn't have health care, hmm. you know, at that time. And they didn't know what to do anyways. And in the past, when we asked him, you know, go see a doctor, he would get so upset. He would just, you know, shut down the conversation or he would just leave, you know, like walk out. And there were even people in our family who were saying, you know, at this point, you should just call the cops because he's he's an endangerment to his own life. Right. You know, at this point, because he was so he was very ill, you know, mm -hmm. and I remember asking him one more, you know, I asked him, can you go, can you go see a doctor? And he said, if I don't feel better by Monday, I will. And that was even just that was huge, you know, um, because when you hear your family say you should just call the cops on him. And I just felt like, you know, what would that do to our relationship? Would that make anything better or change, you know? and so I just decided I was going to chant for him to want to go hmm. and my you know my dad was so stubborn he was like you couldn't convince him to switch from diet pepsi to diet coke like that kind <laughs> of stubborn you know um where it had to be on his own decision and so I was chanting that, you know, that weekend, I remember just chanting and it just felt like, you know, for the sake of his life, that he's going to want to go, you know? Mm. And as we, you know, of course he didn't get any better. And Monday he ended up going to a family clinic, you know, for like low income families. And the nurse there who, who saw him you know, it was like, oh, you're, you're a veteran. You should go to the VA. And we had pursued that in the past with, you know, his benefits didn't cover things like that. But she, you know, she said, I'm, I used to work for the VA and I know how, basically how to get you ensure that you get treatment and get enrolled. And so that day they took him to basically the emergency room at the VA and immediately got treated and the, and it, he was enrolled in their program. So like everything was covered by mm -hmm. these benefits, you know? Um, and the doctors there had said, you know, we're, you're so fortunate that he came in when he did, because if it had been one week, one more week that you waited, that he wouldn't, he wouldn't be here. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And what was really crazy is that even in that kind of dire moment when he was, you know, in his hospital room, he just told me, he said, Katie, everything had to happen exactly the way it did. And he said, I have this overwhelming feeling that everything is going to be okay. Yeah. Like, you can't make that up, you know, um, but that he was just overwhelmed by that feeling. Oh, my goodness. It's like, um, I mean, first of all, that's incredible. And it's just it's like almost as if everything else fell away. And it was just like his heart directly speaking to your heart. Which is completely different than what you described the relationship to have been or you know his personality to have been yeah wow and so was he um okay after that or yeah I mean you know I would say that he started being open to seeing doctors he started and he started really um taking their advice and and taking treatment 
and doing his best. And, and it was, what's really amazing is that even though, you know, maybe, maybe his health wasn't, you know, drastically improving, but his life just opened up and it was like he was a different person, you know, Mm -hmm. that just, I could just see that he had, he was living with like hope and he had, he started having these aspirations, like I'm going to go back to school and, you know, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get my master's in engineering or something, you know, and he just had all these dreams, you know, and, um, and then, and he also told me, Years later, he said, you know, he said those a couple years ago when I didn't want to go to the doctor, he said, the only reason that I ended up going is because I promised you I would. You know, he said, he, he said, I didn't care about my life at that time. Mm. You know, like, and, and when he's, and he, and that was kind of out of the blue. Like he just wanted to share that with me. And what I felt in that moment was, you know, wow, somehow I extended my father's life because we had had, we had had that conversation before of like, you know, go to the doctor, get treatment, but it never worked. And It's not like chanting is this magic that -hmm. you just impose on someone or (laughs) make, you know, it's not like we're casting a spell or doing anything like that. Right. But somehow this time my life reached his differently. Yeah, I, I, I mean, first of all, that's just, it's so incredible because it's like so subtle, but it's at the exact right time, right? The right words came out and were received in the right way. Um, But, you know, Buddhism really is like we talk about this concept all the time in um, Buddhist meetings. And actually, we did a video on it recently. But this concept of oneness of self and the environment, where if you want to see a shift in your environment, you have to change. Like you can't just chant for your environment to magically change. That's not how life works. Everything is a reflection of us, which can be really, really hard to hear, I think, especially for someone who's suffering on account of someone in their environment that they don't have control over. And, you know, sometimes like you can care about someone so much and you just can't do anything about it. So I'm just, that said, wondering like what, through your chanting, what do you feel like you had to change in yourself in order to see that this kind of shift happen or in order to be received in this way at the crucial moment? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with, it's so much easier to just say, oh, this person needs to get their stuff together. And I remember thinking this, if only my dad would change, we'd have a normal family. But, you know, you're right. If we, what's interesting on the, on the other hand is that there's this sense of freedom in not having to wait for other out th- for external things to change. Huh? There's a sense of freedom when we can be the ones to decide that when I shift something, my environment will respond, you know? Mm-hmm. And What's interesting is that it's so hard to say what that shift was other than starting out at a place of desperation and ending at a place of conviction, Hmm. you know, and along the journey, of course, you know, I totally have, you know, and I still am, while I say that, like, because of this experience, I totally feel like I have this conviction of my life. And I have these moments of doubt still as a human being, but I can still go back to, I have this profound sense that I can do it and I can win. And that's only because 
of these, of this journey of starting out with just completely feeling like this is the most impossible situation, but I'm going to try anyways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's such an incredible way to put it. Actually. I feel like I want to take a moment to unpack that, you know, starting out from a place of desperation and ending up at a place of conviction is actually like the greatest definition I think I've ever heard of what human revolution is in Buddhism or this process of inner transformation we have to go through. Like that is, that is the point of practicing Buddhism ultimately to do that kind of inner revolution. Um, but just for the sake of, you know, those who might be really, really new and listening, um, you know, this podcast is called Buddhability because, you know, obviously Buddhability and Buddhahood are sort of interchangeable. Um, and I, I just like, I'm so curious to know how would you define what that is for you? Like, like what is it that you arrived to have conviction in, if that makes mm. sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's so funny because starting out, you know, starting this journey, I heard this word conviction and I was like, <laughs> what does that look like? You know, or what is that? And I was just so like, I just wanted that, that. And, you know, and, and I, it, it was kind of interest. It's interesting because you don't, it's hard to believe it if you don't see it, you know? So mm. when I, I think what, what would happen is that I would just like, I have to just try and I, you know, and, and I have to just believe that this is going to work. And then as I saw little things shift, like my dad opening up or, you know, getting, you know, getting the care that he needs and just thinking, wow, something is working. Then I started to go from just having hope to really believing in, 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 what am I believing in? I'm believing in the power of my life. Mm. And then, you know, as, you know, and as you develop that, then it becomes this like word conviction where you're just, I feel like it's decided, mm. you know, my victory is decided or my breakthrough is decided, even if we're not there yet, that it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is the ultimate definition of freedom too, actually, you know, you're, you're free from suffering or feeling kind of uh, controlled by any situation because you decided already what the outcome is. I love that. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, so, so then just one more kind of question on, on this journey, because you shared earlier that sort of the entire, and of course, whatever you're comfortable sharing is okay. But um, you shared that this sort of was all kind of triggered by the financial circumstances and this kind of great sense of, um, yeah, I guess like loss of purpose or confidence for him that triggered a lot of this began then. But I understand a lot of that also changed in kind of a, a tremendous way. So yeah, what, what happened in terms of the financial front? It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think this whole time we, we, we were barely, we were kind of able to make ends meet in a way. We always had just what we needed. Basically, even despite him, like kind of following these instructions of, you know, how to take care of himself, his, um, kidneys were getting kind of worse. And so his doctors recommended him to go on dialysis and mm. they told him, they said, most people who are on dialysis, they don't live much longer than a year. And at some point he became, he, his, um, the IV for his dialysis got infected and he had to go back to the hospital and then his health kind of got worse. And they, you know, going for, they said, you're going to be ready to go home in two weeks to, we're not sure. And, and that moment just devastated him where he felt like all of this progress progress was for nothing, you know? And, and I was just me and him and I was visiting him in his hospital room and he was 
he just felt like all that progress was for nothing. And it was so interesting because at that point, I just felt like not only did I have conviction in my life, but I had conviction in his life that this is just where he's at. And just in another moment, like he can take a step forward, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just felt like he could say anything he wants to me and it doesn't matter. It's okay, you know, because I'm not going to stop believing in him. You know, kind of like you see those commercials where there's the guy wearing the collared shirt that's like stain proof. And then (laughs) someone just throws a bucket of paint at them and nothing sticks. I felt like that. Like, it was like nothing he says to me is going to destroy me. Nothing. He could say anything he wants. And so I just shared with him. I said, you know. This is where we're at, but in a moment like that, we can we can turn this around. Then he was kind of like, okay, you know, um, <laughs> and this was like a Friday. And then I visited him back on Monday and he was already back on track to be released. But he said, you know, he's like, I, I feel like there is a reason I went through that this weekend. He said, I, I think I understand why I had to go through that. And it was, he was just sharing with me that he had these profound, you know, kind of creating meaning from even a moment like that. Mm -hmm. And so when he was released, he was like, so was like, you know, the happiest. We just went to the movies and, you know, went out to lunch and, and he just shared with me, he's like, you know, I just feel so fulfilled. You know, and he's like, I want, you know, he told me and my brothers, he's like, I want you to know that I'm completely satisfied. You know, like he's, he wanted us to know that he was completely satisfied with his life. And, um, which is like amazing just to, you know, and it was, um, it was incredible because he kept saying like, I want to go to lunch with you guys, me and my brothers. And we went out, we went to like, you know, some on, on a Friday, you know, somehow my brothers and I all had this, all had the day off, you know, just kind of mystically, or or I guess just, you would never expect it. And we took my dad to lunch um, at some taco shop, you know, and where he wanted to go. And then he, he passed in his sleep on Monday. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it was just, again, it was just so profound that I could feel, of course, grief because he had been, you know, on this kind of maybe like seeming like he was doing so well and just so like he just felt like, you know, so joyful and just enjoying. But you know, so I, so I, I felt, of course, grief, but at the exact same time, I was, I just felt like he won. You know, that's all I could think. I was, you know, I was just like, wow, he won. And, and he, he just had this victorious conclusion, you know, and yeah. I can only attribute that to my journey in this in this Buddhist practice of being able to feel that sense of victory at the end of my dad's life that's just yeah so oh my gosh (laughs) I have chills (laughs) yeah that's just so so incredible yeah yeah sorry okay please continue (laughs) Yeah, I I was just going to address the financial part um and I you know yeah. because at that point I was still I was you know I mean my parents were in you know tens of thousands of dollars in debt and my mom was hoping hoping to retire, you know, and mm-hmm. all those things, right? And I was also determined I was personally determined to that my parents would just kind of that original that original just wish of my parents not worrying 
And so I was really, you know, I was really determined that somehow my parents would have their debt eradicated. And this was way before my father passed. Hmm. And so when my, when my dad passed, um, my mom went to the bank to, you know, kind of make sure that they would settle all the debts that they had. And basically they told her, you know, anything that doesn't have your name on it, you know, if it just has my dad's name on it, it's basically dissolves, you know, and, and then in terms of like hospital bills, it was like 1500 bucks, you know, and <laughs> after, you know, being hospitalized several times for long-term inpatient care for surgeries, that was insane. Um, and so, you know, and then life insurance policy, you know, my brothers and I in an instant all decided everything goes to my mom. Mm. You know, it was just everything goes to my mom to protect her. And it even feels like my dad was trying to protect her by ensuring that she would be okay. Mm. So my mom ended up having as much money as she had in debt. She now has in savings. And she basically was able to buy a, a new car oh my for goodness. the first time in like 15 years. Yeah. Huh. Oh my gosh. That's just, I'm really, I'm speechless. Like this whole story is just, it's so, so powerful. And what a, yeah, what a tremendous shift. One thing I was going to ask is like, um, kind of like where was your mom in all of this because it both of you practiced right yeah you know um my mom my mom always would always go back to her practice with any of these things and it and her relationship with my dad wasn't always great um you know sometimes he could be really condescending and you know, and that's, that's hard to be in a marriage with. So, um, you know, so I, and I think sometimes she had some of her own frustrations with, you know, having to take on this finance, on the financial burden of working and making, you know, and then being kind of a caregiver. I mean, really, right. Um, but she always, she would always turn to practice and I always saw her chanting and you know um sometimes we would go to meetings together and and she would be asking questions too of you know of like just seeking about or you know just really asking about her relationship with my dad of like I just can't see his Buddha nature or you know um hmm what we call someone's Buddha nature, what we call someone's unlimited potential. And just her, you know, even asking that question was like, you know, her being able to decide that she, that she wants something to change. That, that was her way of also fighting to break through my dad's happiness and so she was always sharing buddhism with people she was always chanting and going to activities and even if no matter how hard things were mm. and at my mom's job they all knew what was happening you know they like when you're that close to your your co-workers they know what was going on they said um, Pam, that's my mom's name, you know, they would just say, how can you keep a smile on? Hmm. And she just says, only because my Buddhist practice. Mm. Right. And so that's how she was able to share with others, you know, I'm going through this but I'm not going to give up because I have this, this philosophy behind me. Mm. 
yeah so i've i've always watched and learned from my mom too of yeah just how not to give up when you feel like you want to give up right yeah 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 absolutely i mean that's that's incredible i can only imagine what the whole experience felt like for her um but also it's just so incredible to like have the both of you deciding you know on behalf of everyone else not to give up um yeah thank you so much for sharing this entire story i'm i'm just so moved already and i feel like um what i'm hearing from you is just the you know in some sense like what you shared at the very beginning like chanting for someone else it doesn't quite make sense like it's really difficult to understand intellectually this is how it's gonna work um you just sort of have to have to live it. But then like, it, it seems like you came out so changed by the entire experience. And I guess my, my sort of last question um, on this before we, we will do a closing question, but you know, is um, how has this experience impacted your life and your ability to have conviction in other things? Cause I, I imagine it was a really incredible, rare foundation building opportunity. So does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. It's because everywhere you go, you take you with you. <laughs> you take yourself. And, you know, when I was, when I was like middle school or high school or, you know, I was, I, I didn't have any, any confidence in myself and everything I, I did, I was, it was kind of just based on fear. I was always afraid of, I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of rejection or letting people down, all those things that you kind of build up this sense of who you are, of like, I'm just, I'm not a leader, I'm a follower, right? We always mm -hmm. hear those things in like, you know, high school or whatever. And I just always felt like, you know, I'm not a courageous person. You know, so... Those are the kind of things that you you build up this persona of who you are. And, and going through this experience, it was seeing the person that my dad became. And that just felt like the most impossible thing that I started to... that. It, as I shared, became a person that could really believe in myself and have this conviction. And so it's so interesting because we talk about this world of Buddhahood as like our highest life state, right? Where, you know, we see our reality as it is. We're not, you know, we're not defeated by what we think our circumstances are, but we feel this unlimited self. Hmm. And this, you know, we feel like, you know, undefeatable. And when you start your day every day that way of, I have this unlimited self within me, then you become that unlimited <laughs> self. And and so even in the, the reason why I'm in L.A. is because I had the courage to go for my dreams, you know? I mean, I even mid-pandemic, I quit my job and went to grad school, which huh. is something I've wanted to do for the past probably 10 years. Like even, you know, during that experience with my dad, you know, I've had these dreams. And... Because of that experience, I can say I'm a person of courage. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I I, I can feel it from you in the way that you're sharing. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I will move into our closing question, which um, I always I always close the show with this question. And it's, um, you know, for anybody who's listening, who again, you know, might be new to Buddhism, but is struggling with this exact situation, someone that they really care for isn't really taking the steps to care for themselves or seeing the value of their own life, whatever the situation might be. Um, what one piece of advice would you give them? Yeah, 
I, I really feel, I appreciate this question. Um, because I think in the moment, it's so easy to feel completely defeated by what we can see on the mm -hmm. surface, right? It's so easy to, in the moment, to feel like nothing's going to change this. But I think one thing I would just say is that don't, don't be discouraged by how things appear on the surface when it feels like nothing is moving or nothing is changing because in reality, things are moving just underneath the surface. Things are shifting. And as long as we continue you'll be able to recognize those things that are shifting. Hmm. And that gives you hope, right? I want to leave you today with some words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda that Katie shared with me, which helped her get through the toughest days. They read, Even if you think you're hopeless and incapable, I know you're not. I have not the slightest doubt that each of you has a mission. No matter what others may say, I will always respect you and believe in you. No matter what your present situation is, I am absolutely certain that a wonderful future awaits you. Katie shared that reading these words and connecting with other people in the practice who were fighting to believe in their own lives helped her decide that she wanted that kind of courage and conviction herself. My biggest takeaway from our conversation was that no matter how impossible a human relationship might seem right now, the truth of the teaching of the oneness of self and environment is absolute. When we change, the people we love will undoubtedly be impacted. For more on that concept, check out our Bootability YouTube video linked in the show notes. And as always, if you want to get in touch or learn more about your local Buddhist community, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.